Welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary for Saturday the 26th of November 2016. This accompanies podcast episode number 38. Well, I'm as surprised as you are to be here with the Podcast Diary. Uh, I thought I was good to wind them up and I thought, do you know what, why not? I've got loads of things to tell you about November. So this is going to be my November update. The other thing is, um, I kind of got in the routine of doing these diaries. I think we did them for a run of, was it 30 weeks, something like that, over spring and summer. And uh, every Friday night when I record these things, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I feel like doing a diary. Um, so I, I may well be coming back to these in the new year. I'll tell you what's gone on and what the plans are and what's happening at the moment. And I may be back with the diary from January. I'm certainly going to do another one uh, before the, the year finishes. So let me give you my news from November. And there was more of it than I thought when I actually started jotting some notes down. Uh, let me give you book progress, first of all, because when I did my last diary, I had just finished writing The Forgotten Children. Um, every week since then, uh, I think I took a week's holiday for half term. And then every week I've been working on the books. So I don't tell Meg, I did my final read week beginning the 31st of October. By my final read, uh, I mean that, you know, I'd written it, I'd looked at it, my wife had looked at it, um, I prepared it for my proofreader, it had gone to the proofreader, proofreader had sent it back, um, what did I do? I gave it a final read, the proofreader had another look at it, uh, the best version, and then I made the final correction. So it's been through quite a lot of hands. So that's Don't Tell Meg. Um, Don't Tell Meg has now been sent to some publishers. Uh, looking at my board here, it's gone to one, two, about six, six or seven uh, publishers um not not they're they're publishers but they're not traditional in the sense that they mix it up a little bit they're doing more interesting things the royalties are higher things like that um so they're just ones that i'm really interested in and on monday um i got a call back i call it a call back uh, from bloodhound books and they've asked to see the full manuscript of don't tell meg so what happens is you send them off however many words they ask for five thousand three thousand ten thousand whatever it is they all ask for different things and then if they if they like it enough to to want to read on they ask you for the full manuscript now i've had that happen a couple of times now um it's happened with the secret bunker it's happened with the grid and then it goes off and you get very excited and then they say oh no it's not for us thank you very much so it's just like the next step in a very long journey so um i, I know enough already not to get excited by that. It's mild ripple of excitement I get when that happens because it is always the next step. Uh, Evidence Press got back to me because they're not accepting submissions at the moment. Now, funnily enough, Evidence Press, number one, I'd love to go with Evidence Press. Um, number one, because they're, they're quite cool and they do some really good, um, really interesting books. The other thing is, this is a really ridiculous thing to base you know your writing career on, um, but they're based over in Lincoln and Lincoln's where my uh, my family live and where I come from and it'd be really nice to have an editor in your kind of home city um, and, and go and see my mum and see my sister and, and nip along to see the editor so uh, that's just some you know silly pipe dream but um, that's why I'm really ev interested in evidence press and that, that would be very nice so uh, hopefully they will be accepting submissions eventually and then all the other people uh, where are we oh no um, somebody else has taken it who is it so I'm trying to remember who it is oh Moth uh, Moth have taken it and they're reading it um, and then I, I think I've got three, I'm, three or four I'm waiting for at the moment. So they're just sort of sitting on somebody's pile somewhere. Um, so a little bit of excitement with Don't Tell Meg. 
Uh, week beginning, so week beginning 31st, I did the final read of Don't Tell Megan. I do that over about three or four days. Um, week beginning 7th of November, I did my final read on The Forgotten Children. Now, The Forgotten Children is thriller number three. I had to go through that. So my wife had done it. I did my wife's corrections. I read it again. I did corrections. And then that has now gone to uh, my editor, Helen Fazal. And Helen um, will now work on that and she'll get that back to me uh, early January after Christmas. She's, she's going to get that back to me. So that's fine. That's chugging away. So I had to get that out of the way for Helen to hit my deadline. Um, and and I, I exceeded the deadline because it wasn't due until the end of November. And then the week after that, I spent three or four days on The Murder Place, which is thriller number two. Now, I know this gets complicated, but I have been writing them back to back. The Murder Place had come back from Helen Fazal. So that had been through me, my wife, then me again, off to Helen, back from Helen. And I've now been through it again. I've just sent it to Helen, who likes to just read it on a rereader like a reader would. And she'll just give me some very last minute sort of tweaks and changes that she's noticed. And then I, I will also give it a last read when that comes back from Helen. So there's quite, quite a lot of uh, work going on on all of these uh, at the moment. So, so The Forgotten Children is the one that's with Helen. And then when that comes back in January, I'll do my sort of final uh, read on that. And then the three books will be as good as I can get them, as good as I can get them. Um, now, and there's something else I'm going to tell you about that in a minute as well uh, to, to, to work on Don't Tell Meg. So let me bring up with bring up today with some personal stuff. Um, the, the reason I stopped doing the diaries is because, um, interestingly, for an old geezer of my age, um, I left the BBC uh, six years ago, uh, went self-employed, didn't really know where it would lead and whether I'd even be able to survive um, and was delighted to celebrate, you know, six years of keeping a roof over our head and self-employment in um, at the October the 1st issue. That was my sixth year um, anniversary. Now, um, when we started that journey, my, we were home educating uh, one of my children. That child went back to school. We took another child out of school and have um, home educated that child uh, up to 1920, uh, which you could do when you home educate. Um, so I'm, I, and one of them was at primary school. So life has changed in six years, but my kids are getting to that um, uh, university uh, stage now. Uh, we may have the first one going to university um, next year. Next year, in fact, we're going to have two two of that age next year. So um, it, it's just good domestically for me to be bringing in that kind of regular income. Uh, what's happened over the last two years since I've been writing, uh, um, it, it, when I went self-employed, I hadn't really got a clue what I was going to do. I didn't really know, I didn't have a business idea particularly. And I, I managed to make money from internet marketing and all sorts of projects, built softwares and things like that, and, and have managed to generate an income um, from that. And, and as somebody with no self-employed experience, I feel incredibly proud that I survived six years um, doing that and sort of living off my wits and, and my contacts. Now, interestingly, um, all my chickens have come home to roost in a good way in that I made some very good contacts as part of that work and um, I got offered a job somebody called me in offered offered me a job um, I originally accepted that job but when when somebody else knew that I've been working with that I was kind of looking at employment up they upped the salary proved the offer and so I ended up taking that one and then somebody else then um, ran a job by me that I've I've been working with and said, would you be interested in applying for this? And I did, and the salary's gone up. And we're at a stage now where I'm I, I'm sort of ready to go back to full-time um, employment. Now, the difference now is, is that, you know, I'm, what am I, 51 now, 52 next year. 
we're not looking for the rest of your life. You know, I, I'm not looking at I would as a, as a job as I would be at the age of 20. You're, you're looking at, at it for an interim period. Interestingly, in my interview, you know, I was saying, they asked me, you, you know, where will you be in, in so many years? And I said, well, you know, um, 55 is, is my next kind of um, age that, that I want to, to get to um, in terms of targets because my kids are all adults by that stage. So um, I'm going back to full-time employment from the new year. Um, and, you know, back into sort of journalistic and digital marketing work, which I'm really looking forward to doing, actually. And um, it's it's a, for a transition period because the kids, you know, we've got universities, colleges, we've got changes, we'll probably move house in that. So all these things that, that sort of happen. And, and it just is better at the moment to be, you know, employed, to have some regular income rather than the fits and starts that I've had uh, as, as self-employed. Um, and it just allows us to, to navigate that sort of next period in our lives. Now, um, we also, by the way, have some financial targets that aren't connected to writing work as well. So what all of that means is less time for writing. It means less time for writing. Now, I've written now nine fiction books, uh, six sci-fis and three thrillers which I haven't even released yet um you know I haven't even put them up for pre-sale or anything they're just going chugging through the works at the moment um so I, I have quite a lot of equity in books at the moment and um you know frankly most people don't write that in a lifetime so I've already done okay in terms of my productivity now I want to keep writing because actually I, I love writing uh, I didn't know I would enjoy writing as much um, I just love it when I'm reading my books and, and, and editing them. I think, oh, I love creating these characters and these worlds, and, and I really want to do more of it. But the the bottom line is, I cannot um, keep a roof over my head with writing, and this has become not yet. Uh, this has become very clear to me over the past two years, and that my life has changed. Whereas I'm taking contract work to work three days a week to free up the two days a week for me to do the writing. The other thing that's happened in that two years is I know exactly how long it takes me to write a book. I know exactly how long it takes me to write two thousand words. I know exactly how much time I need to allocate to write a eighty to ninety thousand word book, and. I'm as confident as I can be that I can keep up the writing uh, while I'm back at work. Um, I'm fairly confident that I can do that. You may hear me on this podcast diary, eat my words, but that's that's what I'm going to aim for. But that's the bit I'm nervous about in all of this. I'm actually really looking forward to going back to work. Um, I love the kind of journalistic environment. I love that environment. I'm doing digital marketing, which I love doing. Um, so um, I'm really, really happy about that. But the question for me is, is the writing going to continue? I don't want the writing to go. So he here's what I'm doing to make sure that I can keep the writing up. When I look at my, my sort of author business, there are two things that I have to do. I have to do the writing. I know you can get a ghostwriter, but actually I want to do the writing uh, and I don't want a ghostwriter doing it. So um, I want to do the writing. And I need to turn up for this podcast. It, you know, I can't kind of outsource the podcast. Otherwise, it's not my podcast anymore. So I'm, I'm in the process at the moment of looking for VA virtual assistant support. Now, I, I've used outsourcers for years, um, you know, on Fiverr, on People Per Hour. I had my software built by an excellent coder um, who was based in, in Russia. We only ever talked on Skype. We never met. We built a whole or he built a whole software uh, based on that, an excellent software, too. Um, so, you know, I've done a lot of outsourcing in the past. So now I'm looking at getting a VA. Now, um, the cons what I'm considering is my, my oldest child is quite interested in doing the VA work. Um, I've contacted a VA through writing circles. So I'm a member of something called Kindling, which is uh, an online group that I joined uh, ooh, two years ago now. It is the best. It is the best writing group 
that I'm in. It's superb. It's uh, uh, effectively you pay for training, which is excellent. But the group itself is the best Facebook group I've in. It's brilliant. Um, and uh, I've also contacted a UK-based service called uh, timeetc.com. I've been very impressed with those uh, that service as well. Um, so I'm, I'm just going through that process at the moment of working out the best um, VA arrangement to take away all the things I don't have to do so that all I have to do is roll up and do an interview every week uh, for the podcast, maybe a podcast diary, um, and to write the books so that I can remove all those extraneous tasks and give those to somebody else. Now, of course, because I'm now bringing in a salary that's predictable, I know without a doubt that those that bill can get paid for a VA and it's just a way of leveraging my time because if I earn x amount per hour at work I pay a VA considerably less than that per hour um, you know to to, to do the, the work that I have to do and that's just basic leverage in a business and um, so I, I will be looking at some form of VA support now the proof of the pudding is going to be in the tasting with this you know i you know can i keep up a novel a quarter i'd like to if you think many authors don't even manage one a year i'm fairly sure i can do more than one a year but i do want to keep the old sausage factory going so i would like to get three done a year if i can with the outsourcing what i'm doing next then to just give you an idea what i'm doing for the rest of the year um for the next over this weekend I'm recording all of my processes so that I can hand them over to a VA and I'm probably going to be testing the, the VA options that I've got, seeing how they get on with it. Um, and um, I, I'm going to use um, different softwares for this. Uh, I'm either going to use Asana, uh, Trello, or one that I quite like the look of actually. It's one I hadn't heard of before, but it popped up in Facebook. It's called Process Street. So it's process.st is the web address for it. And you've probably heard of Trello and Asana. So I, I'm, I'm considering which one of those to use, which one's going to be best. I'm going to be recording videos, uh, screenshots, and recording every step of my process. Now, incidentally, if you're in this kind of game, this is a process that's outlined in Michael Gerber's The E-Myth. Now, when I got The E-Myth, I assumed it would be something to do with, you know, online entrepreneurs. It actually turns out that the E means the entrepreneur myth. And the basic principle of Michael Gerber's book is that when you're an entrepreneur, you end up doing all the jobs in your business and not actually doing the the most important stuff and he's very big on systemizing so that um you know if you get knocked down by a bus somebody can just pick up the business they know exactly what to do they don't it doesn't rely on you so that is effectively what i'm doing in in my business and with my weekly tasks i'm getting rid of all the things i don't have to do that i can outsource and i'm going to systemize that uh, and make that available to a va so this is complete well, i say it's uncharted territory it is uncharted territory and that i've never um, sort of relinquish the process of all the bits I do during the week. And effectively, you know, if this goes ahead, if this works, um, then I'm just going to say, you know, social media, all the little graphics I do for the podcast, um, the processing of the podcast, the uploading, the scheduling, all of that, I'm just going to hand over to somebody else. And all I'm going to do is roll up and do the interviews, hopefully, which will be scheduled by somebody else. And uh, I'm going to do the writing and everything else I'm just going to pay for for somebody else to do. And um, so that will be very interesting. And that's why I'm quite tempted to do a podcast diary again weekly uh, from January, because there'll be lots going on, lots to talk about, about the processes. And hopefully um, you'll find that valuable if I share that, particularly also, though, that kind of journey of trying to balance full time work with a writing career. Because that is going to be a struggle, and that's something I'm nervous about. And it may just all keel over and you know die a death. You might never have another novel from Teague ever again, you know, or I might be able to make it work, which I certainly hope that I can. So follow me on the journey, and we'll see how it goes.
Now, um, not related, by the way, I've just found up a new uh, found a new trick of speeding up my my podcast processing. Um, I always run it through something called Orphonic, uh, which just um, processes it and adds. Um, what are they called? ID tags, ID three tags, whatever they are, tags that you have to add to the audio for a podcast. And um, I'd missed this. It was there all the time. I'd never really thought about it or investigated it. But in Orphonic, you can set up profiles. So I've set up three profiles for the podcast with the guest, uh, the podcast diary, and the author platform bootcamp. And by the way, there's going to be an author platform bootcamp special with Ian Sutherland talking about Twitter uh, this coming Wednesday. So uh, you've got a couple of extra episodes this this month and this week. And what I found out you could do with it is you can actually load the intro jingle and the outro jingle and you can set a time on it. It's really clever, this, so that when I just upload the the, the audio, the, the, the audio of, of me doing this diary, it, it automatically mixes it so that the jingle comes in. The lady does the speaking and the introduction and then my voice comes in. It doesn't it, it won't ever clash with with her voice. And then the music fades down underneath. It's ever so clever. Um, and I used to mix that by hand and because it doesn't trouble me. I come from a radio background, so none of that stuff bothers me. But in actual fact, this is a heck of a lot easier because all I got to do is record a diary, do what we call top and tail it, which is, you know, tidy up the beginning and the end and any cock ups I make in between. Um, usually what I do if I make a cock up and I'll do this and leave this on the tape I, I go like that so if you are working with audio what that does is it leaves three little um, spikes in the audio and you can see where you made the cock up and you can edit it out really quickly um, so I'm just trying to speed up all of my processes and um, it just means that I can record something like this, do the edits quickly, upload it, and it's all taken care of. And of course, the next stage of that is, is that I give that to a VA to take care of that. So um, just a little trick in Orphonic. If you are using Orphonic and you haven't figured out how to do that yet, just drop me a note and I'll tell you, because it's really good. It really speeds things up. Um, I need to mention Self-Publishing Academy. Um, made some sales on that. You see, um, Self-Publishing Academy is great. You know, depending on what price it sells at, um, I can make a couple of hundred quid a time um, uh, on a new uh, customer for Self-Publishing Academy. And those of you who are in self-publishing know that's an awful lot of eBooks um, in, in one sitting. Um, I am still committed to, to doing online training. You know, I really enjoy um, online training. And um, when I was internet marketing, you know, we were doing things with joint venture partners. We were shifting, shifting a, lot of, um, a lot of stuff. And um, you know, what, I, what I haven't managed to do since I left internet marketing, because I won't do the scammy stuff. You know, I won't do the, you know, this will make you a millionaire, uh, you know, by five o'clock yesterday. I won't do that stuff, which is what internet marketing was all about. You know, I, I will only sell stuff now with complete integrity. That was the, the lesson I learned. And that was the limit I found for myself when I did internet marketing. I wasn't comfortable with that. And I, I retracted from it um, straight away. Um, I need to sell stuff with you know that's of quality and with integrity, um, and that means I sell less stuff. Frankly, um, you know I, I've sold a lot of units um, when I did internet marketing. The first product we did, I think it sold about nine thousand units. Um, you know, at varying at varying prices, a lot of units to sell for for, for something digital, um, and and I, I can't remember you know what I made from that. I made a year's income from from one product. Um, you know, in in a in a period of probably about a month. Um, when I when I did internet marketing, and you can see how it, it could seduce you into the dark side, um, but you know we were we were selling something. Um, the training was great, but the way we were selling it, there was nothing wrong with the product at all. But the uh, the way we were selling it, you know, was making promises about people making money fast and online, and uh, it just didn't sit comfortably with me. So you know, frankly, if I put one of those 
sales videos on my self-publishing academy. I could be selling bucket loads of them, um, but, but I've sold it completely, completely honestly and setting very reasonable expectations. Now, what I have learned in the last six years is that, you know, people will say to you, oh, we don't like these scammy things, but, you know, they buy them. They shift by the bucket load when you sell stuff like that. So I, I've always had this um, sort of struggle knowing that if you sell stuff like that you can shift it by the bucket load and that that integrity thing which is where you know I don't want to do that I need to sell stuff um, honestly I mustn't you know over promise things I've got to give people reasonable expectations and what I failed to do um, is to sell enough of them you know to sell well even half of what we would do if we did a quarter of what we were doing in, in online marketing that would be fine that's a monthly income in that um, it's more than a monthly income in that um, you know even to sell a fraction of that um and retain integrity uh, with with the selling techniques um and and that's been my struggle so um every time i sell one i think you know wow I, if i could only sell you know if i can sell 10 of those a month we're off uh, that that's a monthly salary so um, my last job before Christmas is is to is to sort of fan the flames with the self publishing academy. Like everything, you know, it, everything online is about traffic conversions. Uh, you know, I learned that from the the first guy that I worked with, who, who was you know an excellent internet marketer, really knew his stuff. And um, you know, he said it's all about traffic and conversions. You've got to send enough people at a page to look at it, and when they're on the page, you've got to convert them. That's all there is, and it's so simple yet it's so difficult. But that's all there is. Traffic and conversions. Doesn't matter where the traffic comes from. It's better if it's targeted, but you need to send a lot of traffic at it. And when they look at your page, you need to convert them. It's the same with books. Your books, however many you're selling, it's a simple matter of. You need lots of people looking at it, and you need to make sure you convert them. And with books, you convert them with decent covers, decent reviews, obviously decent books and reputation. But it's always the same thing online. It's traffic plus conversions. So to get the traffic up, um, I'm going to do a free sort of taster course on Udemy because Udemy has a you know has a massive marketplace and they they um, they send traffic to the marketplace. So I don't I don't have to pay for that. They always send the traffic there, and then I I just need to get more traffic cascading over the offer so that um we can we can sort of sell more of it. Now interestingly, um, if you've listened to these diaries regularly, um, I've done a lot of experiments with Twitter ads and with um, Facebook ads. And although um, the uh, Facebook ads have been working really well with books and leads and things like that, um, I'm, I'm really struggling to get traction with this sort of course online. I'm really sort of struggling to find the way to sell it. Now, I'll, I'll keep on working at that, but I, I need more traffic so we can get more conversions. That's really the bottom line of it. And that's why I'm going to be recording this short uh, Udemy course just to get, hopefully, more people flowing through it because every time you make a sale on that it's a good level of kaching on that one now the other thing that i've done uh, this month and i did say there were a lot of things where are we now 22 minutes so apologies this could be quite a long one um, so i should be doing these more regularly really um but i've started um you'll have heard me mention this probably on, on the podcast diaries um before i i stopped them at, um, at the end of october um, i have started now the curtis brown creative course it's an online course that lasts about um, three or four months. I started it uh, two weeks ago. Now, this course is expensive. Um, I had to think about it. It is expensive. It's it's come through the business rather than out, out my pocket, um, which kind of comes out my pocket in the long term anyway. But you know, it's come it's gone through the business. This um, it's a mixture of video based teaching, uh, one to ones with the tutor who is a traditionally published author and um, reading and appraising each other's work. Now, the reason I went on this course was because 
I wanted to um, tackle the issue of you know how do I make my writing better? How do I improve my writing? And um, I'd met some people who'd done this course or, or versions of it. Um, one was an in-person version of the course, and then another lady I spoke to who'd done the the online version that I'm doing. And and I thought I would give it a try. Now it's been a very interesting uh, experience so far. Um, what it has made me decide more than ever is that I am an indie author. Um, you know, I I am not going to wait around until somebody chooses to publish me. I choose to self-publish me. And if somebody likes what I do enough then to make me an offer, well, I'll, I'll consider that. But I am not going to sit there spending years waiting for someone to publish me. Um, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> and, I, and that's something that I have discovered. Now, the course interestingly, is very literary fiction biased. So um, I think I've read uh, sort of five manuscripts so far from people who've submitted. We get the first 3,000 words, and mine was one of them, by the way. So I've had feedback as well on mine. And, you know, what I can say from that is I'm definitely not a literary fiction writer. I don't enjoy reading literary fiction. I don't want to write it. And, you know, I'm I'm a pulp fiction... Well, that's I, I, I described it in the forums as uh, Enid Blyton for adults. And by that, I mean, you know, just a great, easy read, good adventure, good characters, except it's for adults because it has sex scenes and murders, which the Famous Five didn't have. But I'm just writing easy read to read stuff. You know, this is not this is not intellectual stuff that I'm writing. And I make I don't want it to be. Uh, I just I, I want it to be the kind of book that I would read. So I read Harlan Coben. I read Linwood Barclay and I read Mark Edwards. And the reason I read those is they just blooming get on with it. They tell a rattling good story. They have great characters, and, and they're, they're, they're books I just can't put down. Um, and the other thing is, is that they're generally short chapters, so I can pick them up at the breakfast table, you know, read a little bit, uh, read a little bit, uh, you know, on my phone if I'm in a queue somewhere. And I can just put them, put them down, pick them up, put them down, put, pick them up, and 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 I, and I get through the books, and they're really exciting. And, and that's the kind of book I want to write, um, and that's all I want to write. That's what I enjoy reading. Um, so um, I feel more confident about that than ever now as a result of doing this course. You know, I really don't want to be a literary author. I don't care for it at all. Now, this is somebody who studied English literature. You know, I, I got an O-level, I got a A-level, and I got a degree in English literature. Okay, so I know how to read posh books. Uh, and you know and, and to do all the intellectual stuff and I choose not to I choose to read rattling murder mysteries because that's what I like um, and that's what I like to write as well so um, you know interestingly um, my book was one of the first up I've had 14 people giving feedback on it and um, you know feed feedback is I got two books I sorry I got I got two series out at the moment I got the grid and I got the secret bunker the secret bunker averages four stars the grid at the moment is averaging four point whatever it is star so nearly five it looks like five when you look at it um so you know hopefully I can ascertain from that that my writing isn't a heap of old rubbish now I understand that within that some people will not like the stories that's fair enough if it's not your thing that's fine um but what I don't tend to get in the feedback is you, you know you can't write you can't spell. Your grammar is appalling. You know th those kind of comments. I don't. I don't tend to get those kind of comments. So I have to assume from that because that's that's bias feedback that my writing isn't complete pants. Now I know that I could always improve it. Of course I could always improve it. And to me, I'm going to improve it 
by doing more writing by getting more stuff out there, by getting on with it, getting out there, getting an audience over it, and then looking at the feedback. Now, interestingly, I got all this feedback for the book, and it was very uh, sort of literary fiction feedback. And, you know, it, it, it just kind of thought, well, this is not the kind of book I'm trying to write. Uh, it's just a, a murder mystery is all this is. You know, it's it, I don't need to have in-depth characterizations or anything like that. It just needs to be a, a really good read. Now, one thing that did come out of the feedback that I have to, uh, that I need to take on board. So really, I think this is a long way around of tell, telling you that I think, I think you have to be really careful with feedback because you'll have chattering voices all around you for every person you give your book to. You know, everybody's a blooming writer uh, and everybody thinks they can write it uh, better than you or differently from you. And my view of that to a certain extent was go, you go and write your book then and you do it your way. But this is the story that I want to tell. Now, within that sort of approach, I've got to be open to feedback. If people are telling me it's rubbish, you can't write, you can't spell, you know, there are certain key problems in it, I have to listen for those. But I think you have to navigate through the chattering voices because let's face it, if you gave it to 20 people, you'd have 20 people giving you completely different opinions on the book. And you'd go mad if you followed all of them. So you've got to pick out the stuff that I think that, that has commonality. And and the big thing that I've taken out um, from the feedback that I've got, and, and, and to be fair, I've also had this in the Amazon reviews, is that I that people use the phrase that you know you repeat yourself and I, I I think I don't think I actually directly repeat myself I think I probably re-emphasize things too much uh I, th I think that's I, I think I'm aware I'm aware of that but this is what people are telling me so that is the feedback I'm going to take from that but if I worked through you know everybody's bright ideas for my book I would never get that blooming book out because I would be paralyzed by indecision from all these people telling me what they would do if they wrote it. So um, it's been a really interesting experience in feedback. Uh, and, and again, you know, I don't want to, I don't ever want to be close to feedback, um, you know, feedback that I can do something about. But I really do believe that if you listen to everybody, you would go mad. And I met somebody um, on the Festival of Writing, a lady that I chatted to at a table. She had rewritten her book eight blooming times over how many years was it because you know every every time she got a bite from an agent and the agent said oh you know we, we think it's wonderful but could you just rewrite this and she'd rewritten it and then said oh no it's not for us and she'd done this eight times and I said you know what you could have had that blasted thing self-published three years ago and written another three by now um while they're all messing you around and and you know th this is what this has really helped to crystallize me with my thinking here that I am an indie author right? I'm not going to wait for you to give me permission to publish because um, you know I, I've got enough evidence on Amazon to know that I'm not writing complete tripe and frankly everybody said that Fifty Shades of Grey was complete tripe well do you know what if that's complete tripe I want to write like that because that's best-selling book and I'm not snobby you know and, I, and again I can afford to say I've got a degree in English literature all right I'm not snobby about my books to me a great book is a book that any individual reader loves I don't care whether it's something written by a five-year-old, you know, or a, a literary work of fiction. The only things that matters with a book is, did you enjoy it? It's the only thing that matters. Did you enjoy it? Not what everybody else thinks, but did you enjoy it as a reader? Um, it doesn't matter how posh it is, you know, or how badly written. It only matters that you enjoy it. And I really do feel that sort of very strongly about books. And in self-publishing, um, I, I, I would never, ever you know, try, I'd never put knowingly put books out that were substandard, that I thought were rubbish, 
um, that hadn't been through editors and things like that. You know, that I'd done my best to make as good as possible, but I am not going to be paralysed by other people telling me what to do with my books. I'm getting them out there, and I'm going to learn from doing it. Now, this feels like a bit of a rant, actually. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it has really helped to crystallise me and made me realise that, you know, I really am, uh, if you cut me through the middle, I am an indie author. And, um, you know, probably, well, I've had this little skirmish with the traditional industry. I'm just going to get on with it and, and just be an indie author and get them out there. I was having a really interesting chat with Ian Sutherland, who you'll hear um, on uh, Wednesday's Author Platform Bootcamp. And I, I was sort of telling him in a less discreet way uh, about my experiences on the course. And... Um, uh, we were in a big laugh about it, and Ian was, you know, Ian's already happy with that journey. He's an indie author; he doesn't even care about the traditional stuff. And and I think, you know, I should be more like that. Really, I should be more like that. But I've paid for this course; so I'm blooming well sitting through it uh, till the bitter end. The other thing, I mean, you know, the other thing is you learn from everything. You learn from absolutely everything. So it, it is a great learning experience. I'm really enjoying the video tutorials. There's a lot of good stuff in there that I haven't heard before. Um, obviously, it's always good to see what other writers are up to, but also towards the end of this course, um, you do something that I'm really rubbish at and really need some help with, which is writing the synopsis. And then also those go to, to real life agents as well. So there's a lot in there, uh, but it was just it's just the feedback process that has been very, um, very interesting, I think. Um, so there you go, that's, uh, that's the Curtis Brown Creative course. Um, and I'll continue to update you on that as we go through it. Um, so, sorry this has been a long one, uh, but it does cover the whole of November. Um, so what's coming up next then? What What's next for Paul? Okay, well, I've missed these podcast diaries. I hope you have too. Will you just drop me an email? If you if you like these and really would like me to continue them, just drop me an email, would you? Because it does help if uh, you feel like you're not talking to yourself. Um, and I may well pick these up uh, weekly from January because, to be honest with you, they're not a hassle for me to do. If I'm going to be writing again in January, I think it could probably be really valuable to you if you're at work too. Um, you know, hearing how I'm getting on with my writing and manage to squeeze it around a full-time job. So so do let me know if you think that would be handy for you uh, because I have missed these diaries and would quite like to, to pick them up. So I think I probably would in January. Um, what else? Um, we're going to go through over this weekend this um, recording process. I'll either be doing it in Process Street, Asana or Trello. I'll, I'll figure that out um, and go through this VA selection process with the view to that VA probably starting work, whoever, whoever it is and however I do it in January when I start to do full-time work. Um, and then I'm going to record that free Udemy course and that Udemy course is going to cross-promote Self-Publishing Academy. And that kind of sets me up really well to go back to full-time work. So that when I go back to full-time work, all I'm doing is recording the podcasts and I'm going to be writing. Those are the two things that I just want to do then. Um, before Christmas, I got a nice little trip to Spain booked, which is very nice. Um, what we have done since I've been self-employed, ever since I left the BBC, um, we've kind of gone away. Well, it started for a month. We went away to Spain for a month over Christmas with the kids. And then and then they, all, they the government clamped down on taking your kids out of school. So I think we missed a year just to check whether our local authority was going to fine. And they don't fine. So we started going away for three weeks. Um, and, and I think, I can't remember how many days was that. I can't remember how many days that meant there's kids coming out of school, but it wasn't a problem and nobody fined us. So we've done that for the last few years. But again, life's changing. The kids are getting older now. And they're not really interested in going out there with us. So we're skipping the three week breaks uh, now for a year or two, just while the kids grow up and, and, and do their thing. And um, and so I'm going out for my little winter fix of sun. Uh, when is it? Next Friday I'm going out. So um, that will be lovely. Uh, week in Spain in the sunshine. 
Uh, and then also when I get back from that, I'm meeting some internet marketing friends in London, which we do every year for Christmas. And I'm really pleased that I'm going to be meeting up with fellow indie author podcaster Tim Lewis, who does the Begin Self-Publishing podcast. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I'm always recommending Tim's podcast. Um, Tim offers something really different, I think, in the self-publishing podcast space, and, and I hope to do that too. What I try to do is to bring you authors that you won't be hearing on other people's podcasts. And what Tim does is he, he sort of does that equally well with probably a slightly more kind of um, geeky technical focus. And I always emphasize, don't let that put you off because it's all about self-publishing, but it has a very different emphasis from other podcasts. I, I love it. I'm always retweeting it and listening to it and saying how good I think it is. And I, I reached out to Tim early in the year. I interviewed him for this podcast. He interviewed me for his podcast. Uh, we keep in touch. Uh, we exchange notes and tips and things like that. And I'm delighted to say that we're finally going to meet up in London um, in December, which I'm really looking forward to um, because this podcast is great for networking. So Tim and I will be meeting up in London. Uh, so we've got plenty going on, you know, lots going on, plenty to fuel a diary with. So um, do let me know if you like the diaries. If you do, uh, that, that's great. I'll consider doing those weekly from January when I get writing again. Just a reminder that I'm talking to Ian Sutherland on Wednesday for one of my occasional author platform bootcamp episodes. Now, really, really interesting. Ian and I, well, I've been one of Ian's beta testers for a service that he's using and launching in January. And uh, it's been brilliant. Um, just on complete automatic, he's built me... Uh, or added over 155 new subscribers to my list. Now, at a time when I've been paying for those um, through Facebook, this has been quite remarkable. I've just been sitting there, and Ian's been doing all these amazing things on Twitter, and my list has just grown by 155 um, using the, his, his beta testing service that we're using. He's going to be talking us through that, giving the latest stats, and telling us how it's done on Author Platform Bootcamp. That is going to be on Wednesday of next week. And of course, on Monday of next week, it's getting very complicated, this, I'm talking to Andrew Bromley. Andrew's my Monday guest this week. And Andrew um, is from Ingram Spark. Uh, Ingram Spark will help you to get your book, your indie book, onto bookshelves. Now, it was an interesting interview because I used Ingram Spark. And then I decided not to use them because I had some frustrations with them. But very recently, I've, I've noticed that Ingrid Spark are making a real effort um, to really help indie authors. They're using lots of learning materials, uh, you know, teaching materials. They're really making um, a, a lot of effort to improve their service for indie authors. And I was going to go down to um, Ingram Spark to have a look at the sort of production factory where they do all of this down at Milton Keynes. I had to cancel because of the work that I'm doing up to Christmas. But I said to Ingram, is there somebody I can speak to? Um, because I would like to, to, to talk about some of these issues I've had with Ingram Spark. Andrew Bromley came on, did a brilliant interview with me, and 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 it, I found it so inspirational that it's made me come back to Ingram Spark. Um, you, you know, I, he, he tackled a lot of the issues that I put to him, uh, and it's made me resolve. Right uh, when I do the thrillers, when I do those by paperback, they're going through Ingram Spark. So um, you know, it was that inspirational for me, and I and I and I was um, a bit down about it when we when we started the uh, interview before I chatted to Andrew. So so do listen to that interview um, if you use Ingram Spark or if you've maybe. Um, given them a wide berth before because I think they're doing a lot of stuff 
that makes them very, very interesting once again. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast diary. I'm sorry it's about 40 minutes, but I hope it's been informative for you. And I will make sure I record another one of these before the end of December to give you my December progress. And then depending on um, how things go, fingers crossed, hopefully we may be back to the weekly diaries from January 2017. Thanks very much for listening. And I will see you for the regular podcast episode on Monday. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.